0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. That goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W.
1: Cubs fans, it's time to Fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean.
0: Welcome to the Fly the W 670 podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. Nico Horner gets no love. I'm Dustin Rhodes, Executive Producer of the Mully and Haw Show. Guys are on 530 to 10 Monday through Friday on The Score. Of course, The Score is your radio home for Cubs baseball, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy Crowley. And Crowley, we want to remind everybody to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on the socials Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook or email us at flythew the 670 at gmail.com. Again, this one, Crowley, we're calling it Nico Horner Gets No Love.
2: Yeah, well, why does everybody not give Nico love, man? I, I, I don't get it. It, it. It's it's struggling here. So for those of you that don't know, MLB Network this week released their top 10 list for the different positions, right? And so this has really nothing to do with, uh, you know, starting pitching or anything like that. Just, just focusing on the position players, right? And, you know, let's let's be honest. The Cubs don't have a top 10 catcher. You know, we don't know as far as center fielder is concerned. Uh, first and third, obviously, clearly not but you know they there was you know two guys that made it and one that was completely snubbed that shocked me so we figured we'd kind of look at this list right here and when we look at the left fielders right i'm going to go down on the list eloy jimenez former cub and current white sock is ranked 10th ian hamp your chicago cub all-star golden glover ninth. Michael Bradley, Brantley, eight, uh, eighth from Houston. Tyler O'Neill from St. Louis, seventh. Stephen Kwan from the Guardians is in sixth. Randy Rosarena from Tampa Bay, five. Taylor Ward from the Angels, four. Kyle Schwarber, former Cub, 2016 World Series hero at number three. Juan Soto, number two, the $500 million man. And number one, Jordan Alvarez from the Houston Astros last year, Didn't even make the rankings.
0: All right, hold on, Crowley. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, lists are great. I love lists. Lists are great for podcasts, which is what we're doing. They're great for sports talk radio, which is what I do for my full-time job. But I thought it says left fielders, right? So you you started at 10 and worked your way up. And Aloy Jimenez is god-awful. We can just start there. Michael Brantley, Houston, okay, he's eighth. He was fourth, number one, Jordan Alvarez, Houston. I- I'm confused. Yeah,
2: I, you know, it. it they it's, got two uh, guys.
0: They got two guys in the top ten playing the same position. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's what they got. So, <laughs> I mean, bizarre. Now, I remember when the Cubs traded. It was the big trade: Eloy Jimenez for and uh, Dylan Cease for. Um, trading for Jose Quintana and I never had a problem with trading Eloy Jimenez. And the reason I didn't cease made me nervous. I didn't think that should have been a throw in. Um, but Eloy made me nerve or, or Eloy. I was never worried about at the time because there was no DH in the national league. If uh, where I sit, my season tickets are on the uh, left field side, upper deck first row. So I have seen my share of phenomenal left fielders and I've seen my share of bad left fielders and I put Eloy Jimenez in the top five worst fielding (laughs) left fielders that I ever seen. Okay. I'm you know, I've seen, God, I I remember Adam Dunn just absolutely murdering that position, but, but Eloy is definitely in the top five worst left fielders I've ever seen play at Wrigley field. And so if he's going to be on this list, wouldn't you have to say he have to be one of the top five hitters in baseball right like he didn't have that good of a season last year and 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 he's an awful fielder and this is the problem that they're having on the south side they're arguing and fighting with him because he wants to play left field and they want him just a dh right. because anybody with two eyes can see the guy can't play the field
0: well now they're talking about playing him in right field crowley that was the that was a scuttlebutt this week the white Sox scuttlebutt until they had their off the field issues with their uh newly acquired starting pitcher we don't have to get into that right now but um now he is playing around in right field and he said i'm not sure that i'm willing to accept being the dh i know this is the cubs podcast not the white Sox podcast but there is a connection because of course eloy was property of the cubs at one point
2: point. and we talked about trey mancini's press conference where he says put me where you need me first page right. vh corner outfield spots now uh, this has been the problem with the alloy and that's why i never had a problem i didn't i wasn't crying any tears when we lost him super um,
0: refreshing by the way to hear somebody like trey mancini answer the question like he did now also, i do probably before we move on before we get out of left field i gotta have one more thing to say okay kyle schwarber number three okay still the one that got away he's the one yeah. that got away and they had to jed and theo had to have seen dh coming at that point when they let him get away And that is the one that I think is going to sting the most. Kyle Schwarber, the one that got away because you didn't get a bag of balls for the guy. You got nothing. Right.
2: It wouldn't have hurt to kept him on. And if you wanted to trade him, trade him, whatever. But, yeah, that one one hurts. And that's where I'm talking about. Kyle Schwarber is a guy very similar to Ian Happ on this list that I would say really improved his defense. Remember, Kyle was – had some tough moments out there in left field. And I think over the years he has improved greatly. And plus the fact that he just mashes home runs. I think, you know, when I look at the list, you know, I don't have a real big problem seeing Schwarber three. But do you think Ian Happ at nine uh, is a little bit lower? Do you think that they got that about right?
0: Uh, maybe about right. I mean, this is just in case everybody, if you're not paying super close attention, this is all of baseball. So this isn't a national league. This is an American league and nationally. This is all of baseball in here. So I think it's about right. Here's the other thing I like about these lists. I know if I were playing Major League Baseball, and I saw where I was ranked or not included, that that would be a huge motivational factor for me. So I like the fact that Ian Happ is down at nine and has nowhere to go but up.
2: Absolutely. And so we move on to the shortstop list, which Cup fans should be very interested in as that was a position that we talked endlessly about as there were four short stops on that free agency number 10 wander franco with the rays number nine tim anderson from the white Sox, eight william adamas from the William adamas from the brewers seven boat bichette from the blue jays number six dan gisby swanson new free agent for the cubs number five francisco landor for the mets number four Corey seager of the rangers Three, Xander Bogarts, formerly of Boston, now with the Padres. Carlos Correa, formerly of the Twins, then with the Giants, then with the Mets, back to the Twins. And number one, Trey Turner, formerly of the Dodgers, now with the Phillies. So the big free agent acquisition for the Cubs, number six, Dansby Swanson. How do you feel about that one there, Dustin?
0: My, my initial reaction is I'd like him to be a, a tad bit higher especially with uh, Xander Bogertz being third on that list. Um, and I guess if I look at the, you know, I mean, Trey Turner belongs where Trey Turner's at. And I never thought that that was a possibility for the Cubs. I didn't think Trey Turner was ever going to be a Cub. Um, I was all in on Xander Bogerts, um at the start. And so, I mean, the initial reaction is the Cubs got the fourth best shortstop, in a four-person class, and some people said, including me, at the beginning, knee-jerk, and I'll use jerk as the key word there, that Swanson maybe shouldn't even have been involved in the top three, like being mentioned in the same breath with Turner, Correa, and Bogarts. And that's how this list supports what I said. But um, after seeing the press conference, after learning more about Dansby Swanson, and I think what they're not taking into account here, Crawley, is the shift, and I think Dansby Swanson... And I agree with what Jed Hoyer said, not only on six seventy the score, but also at CubsCon. You know, the Dansby Swanson of these guys is a guy that's going to stick at shortstop for a long time. You're not gonna have to move him to third base, a corner outfield spot, or DH. Like he's going to embrace and take on that position.
2: Now now a couple things to kind of think about is these lists never take a look at intangibles. Do you get what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. as far as leadership, stuff like that, 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 that's not included here. So here's the other thing that I kind of pulled up here, and for the podcast readers, I'll listen to this. If you look at the splits with Dansby Swanson, his career splits, they, they split it up the first three years and the, the second three seasons he's played. From 2016 to 2019, if you combine it, he was 245 average. 2020 to 2022, 265. So you see a 20-point jump in the last three years. On base, 318 to 324, it's up there. But here's if you're going to really talk offensively about the issue with Dansby Swanson, a lot of swing and miss, okay? That's kind of an issue that he has. Slugging, 2016 to 2019, 385. Slugging in 2022 to, 2020 to 2022, 451. So as you're kind of looking at these numbers here offensively, what you're really looking at is a guy in the last three years who's improved greatly and had his best – season offensively last year when he hit 25 home runs scored 99 runs finished with a 115 OPS plus okay now where there's no question that that Dansby has been great ever since he's come up is defensively he finished first among shortstops with uh, plus 21 runs above average save so that guy saves you 21 runs compared to the average shortstop that, that's a huge number
0: Dustin 20, huge that's- especially with the shift Especially with, with no more shift, Huge especially number. like you
2: said, with no more shift, and especially the fact uh, the fact is, is that this is a Cub team that we're worried about offense. So if you can save runs, that's going to help the offense. So, so you know, I think that you know, when I look at number six, I don't have a problem. I think you can easily make that argument right now, and then in three years, Dansby Swanson may be in the top three of that list. you get what I'm saying?
0: Yep. Yeah, again, I, and I hope that, and I think Dansby Swanson's a guy that will be aware of this list, and I think Dansby Swanson is a guy that will be upset about where he's listed on this list, and he will look forward to proving the people that put that list together wrong. So I, I, I don't, that's why I don't mind it, because it's just a list, Crowley. It gives right. you and I something to talk about. It gives us something to talk about on the Mully and Haw show, 530 to 10 on the score, and it gives uh, the opportunity when you're, Players on your team are not as high as they want to be. It gives them something to work harder to uh, to obtain. Not on the list, Dustin. Who are we missing from this top 10
2: list? Well, based
0: on the uh, name of the uh, episode, Nico Horner Gets No Love. But here's where what I will say. Based on us going through this, I, I like the title, and I think you're right. Nico Horner Gets No Love. But this also, don't want to be a hypocrite, this is going to motivate Nico Horner. And Nico Mm -hmm. Horner shouldn't be listed in the shortstop. This goes back to what I said about left field. So the Astros have two left fielders listed. Okay. If Nico Horner was listed, I would say the same thing. Nico Horner's not going to play shortstop for the Cubs unless there's a a terrible injury to Dansby Swanson. It's just not. He's going to play second base. Now, he's not on the second base list, which we're going to get into because he hasn't played second base. So I would, if he was number 10 or number nine and I was an out of market. Looking at this list, and my guy was not on the list. And say, how do we know that Nico Horner is going to be a top 10 second baseman? Now, you and I, you and I believe he's going to be. I, you and I believe that he has the potential to be an All Star at second right. base. Maybe not this year, but in the next in the next handful of years, and he might be he might be end up being one of the best second basemen on the National League side of things. But let's let's go through the list, Carly. Let's go through the list of second basemen.
2: Real quick, I just wanted to add on the shortstop. is oh. When you say Nico Horner, again, he, was, he had a 974 fielding percentage. 358 assists were third in the league. He ranked fourth in defensive ratings among shortstop, third in runs allowed, 11th in fielding percentage among shortstops. He only trailed Dansby Swanson. He had 14 outs above average as opposed to the 21 that Dansby had. So, okay, you know, I can only go with what happened last year. And to tell me that he wasn't a top 10, good offensively, one of the top defensively, and he's not going to make the top 10. I don't know, man. And 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 one other thing for Cup fans to keep in mind, another guy not on this list, Javi Baez. And so
0: as you well, look Well he at was that, awful at the plate last year, Crawley. Just pathetic. Right. And so except what, against the White Sox.
2: I'd be very interested to see in the future if one day the way that we talk about all-time great cubs trades and all-time bad cubs trades you know when you talk about Brock for broglio or we just had the anniversary of larry boa and ryan sandberg for yvonne de jesus yeah that just
0: yeah. passed yeah the 20th yep. was it the 27th or 26th
2: yeah and so when we look at that this this the 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 javi bias for pca trade um we, we're going to talk a little bit with brian smith from bleacher nation about the top 10 the the top 100 prospects by mlb pipeline it may end up being one of the great trades in all time of Cub
0: history. Let's, but let's hope. Look. Let's hope. Let's hope your lips to God's ears, Crowley.
2: Right. Let, let, let's look now at second base, okay? Because, uh, you know, I had people who sat there and they're like, well, Nico's not playing short this year. Okay, well, then let's look at second. Number 10, Glabar Torres for, with the Yankees. Number 9, Colton Wong for the Mariners. Number 8, Kettle Marte for the D-back. 7, Brandon Donovan for the Cardinals. Jorge Polanco's at 6 with the Twins. Number 5, Brandon Lowe from the Rays. Number four, Marcus Simeon, Texas Rangers. Three, Andres Jimenez from the Guardians. Two, Jeff McNeil with the Mets. And number one, Jose Altuve with the Astros. So I guess my, my whole point here, Dustin, when I'm kind of looking at this right now, is, is that you're telling me, okay, well, you know, this was based on last year and not coming up. To, to say that Nico's not a top 10 second baseman, we know he was a gold glove nominee prior. We know what he's hit. It's not like he's playing second base for the first time. So he's not a top 10 shortstop and not a top 10 second baseman. I don't know.
0: Well, I guess the question is, and it may be, maybe we need to check in with MLB Network and, and talk to the people that were behind this list. So this was this list based on last season? Is it based on projecting this season? Is it a mix between last season and this season? Because that might give us a clearer indication. But I have a good feeling that this time next year, uh, season three, episode seven. Um, that Mister doesn't get any love. Nico Horner will be in this top ten list.
2: And 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 I get what you're saying, but in that case, if it's if the projections are based upon last season, then Nico's a top ten shortstop. If the projections are ba- or if if you're basing this on what you project for the upcoming year, then I think he should be a top ten second baseman. But to, but to completely ignore the guy. I, I, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm all about Nico Horner revenge season, and I think, to me, I think with Nico Horner, like like I said, he's a guy that that I think this is going to give him fuel, which is why I like this list. I hope he put both of these on his bulletin board because. He like like I said, I think he is just going to be phenomenal at second base. I think it's the right position for him. And I think in general, when we when we come back to here and 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 you know, when I do, you know, when we take our post show notes, we'll come back to this like you said next year. And I want to see where everyone's putting uh, Dansby and Nico, seeing where they were ranked this year, seeing where they're ranked after the season's over. Because I have a feeling for Cub fans, this is going to be one of the all-time great middle infield double play combinations. I'm trying to think whether you're talking about uh, Addison Russell and Javi Baez or whether you're talking Dunstan to Sandberg or, you know, further back. Who knows? Maybe you're a guy that liked, uh, you know, Don Kessinger and Glenn Becker. I don't know. However you look at it, I think this is going to rank up there in the top one of the top double play combinations that we're going to see.
0: You're listening to the Fly the W 670 podcast. This is Season 2 Episode 7. Nico Horner gets no love. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W 670 podcast. This week, MLB Pipeline released their top 100 prospects in baseball. And in this segment, Crowley talks to Brian Smith, prospect expert for Bleacher Nation about where the Cubs' prospects are ranked.
2: Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I am here with prospect expert brian smith of bleacher nation brian how you doing today
1: i'm doing great thanks for having me back on
2: anytime my friend always enjoy it now i gotta tell you it's been kind of exciting you know you know it's kind of like this like downtime really quick when kind of all the free agency is done you're waiting for spring training to start and all these lists start coming out and uh one that everyone always kind of has an eye on is is baseball america does their top 100 prospects and uh you know, MLB pipeline had their own too. So it, it's been kind of interesting. Um, so when we kind of take a look here and they, they did the announcements, I think it was MLB network did theirs this week. Yep. You had three Cubs pop up there, which were very similar to baseball America's rankings, the same three guys, just slightly different order. So when you looked here um, coming in at number 92 was Brennan Davis at number 87, uh, Kevin Alcantara, and number 28, Pete Crow Armstrong. Any surprises that there weren't more? Or was that pretty much what you expected?
1: That's pretty much, I guess, what I expected. My hope going into the offseason was that the you know big national outlets would give a little more respect to what Hayden Wisniewski showed uh, in September. I think you know he checked the boxes for me that you would look for for a top 100 guy. But I kind of had the feeling you know, in October, so just hearing the way that he was talked about that he would be just on the outside looking in. I think the biggest surprise, though, is probably that on the list that you just talked about is that Kevin Alcantara jumped Brennan Davis for, that was Pipeline's list, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that was MLB Pipeline's list, yeah.
1: So that was a little surprising to me because to me, I would still probably have it be Pete then Brennan, then Kevin. And I would have the gap between Pete and Brennan closer than with Brennan and Kevin, but that doesn't seem to be how other places are seeing it.
2: Yeah. It seems like he's really getting dinged for the um, fluke injury, you know, and everyone says back injury, not a back injury, nerve injury in the back.
1: Right. So
2: it, it, it is shocking to me that he dropped as far as he did. Um, but when you talk about Kevin, what are some things that cup fans can get excited about when you're thinking about Kevin Alcantara?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's so fun. I think uh, what, what jumped out to me, I mean, when you see him, he's six foot six, he's like lanky as can be you know, I've said before, looks more like a small forward playing basketball than he does, you know, your typical outfielder. But uh, besides just being a phenomenal athlete, he was so advanced as a hitter last year in low A. I mean, being that young in a, in a pitcher's ballpark in a tough league, he really held his own. He really excelled there. So, I think he's a smart hitter at the plate. His instincts across the board just really blow me away. I mean, he has a great first step in the outfield. He and he takes you know tough pitches on the outer half of the plate for, for balls, even with two strikes. I mean, he's he's just really like smart, instinctual player,
2: yeah. And, and you got to wonder too, like you said, lanky. Uh, but you wonder, you know, he's such a young kid. Is he is that body going to fill in? Is he going to be working out more right. and trying to work on, on strength? You know, and and that's the other thing, I guess I wonder, is that you're looking here at the outfield. And when I was at CubsCon, I asked a question about, you know, you got a lot of you got a glut of outfielders coming, which is not a bad problem to have. But at the same time, you know, like I wonder if any of these guys you'd put as a DH or a first baseman in the future, you know what I mean? Maybe moving them over or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, the, I even more than it just being a glut of outfielders, it's also like a lot of right-handed outfielders. You know, I mean, there's there's Pete and Owen Casey that are left-handed, but pretty much all the other top outfield prospects the Cubs have are, are right-handed. So you don't want to get into a situation down the line where, where you become too right-handed across the board as a team. But you know, again, you know, if these guys all make the major leagues, then that's a problem the Cubs will happily deal with.
2: Yeah. Now, PCA. I think, you know, there, there was no shock. Um, you know, yeah. Baseball America had him at 25 after the season and, and, and MLB Pipeline at 28. So, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy here. But I think what really popped out to a lot of people was the, his defensive rankings. Talk to people as far as the scouting terms, you know, the numbers that they use and where, where, what Pete Crow did and why that's so unusual, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think the the fun thing that happened this week was MLB Pipeline came out and said that you know, not only I think did they rank him as the best defensive player in the minors, but that there was a, a report that there was an 80 being placed on his glove. An 80 is the highest number on the scouting scale. The scouting scale goes from 20 to 80. 50 is your average. You know, when when a guy's a 70, we call him plus plus. So Pete's even above that. Pete's essentially what they're saying is, you know, one of the best outfielders alive. Um, And I think what that does for him as a prospect, what makes that exciting is if you're going to be like a plus 10 plus even 20 outfielder defensively, if you're going to save your team that many runs in a season, then your floor as a prospect is really high because, you know, even if you're a league average hitter, if you're saving the team 20 runs with your glove, you're probably a four win guy. Uh, and so that's what, that's what Pete can do. Pete can, he can take his big, like number one strength, ride that. And then if he adds value at the bat, I mean that then, then we're talking all-star superstar type player.
2: Now, when we talk about the three that made the list, let's talk about Brennan first here. I mean, he was expected to play this year in the major leagues in 2022 till that yeah. nerve injury kind of derailed that. So, you know, obviously Cody Bellinger is signed and Ian Hap is in his last year, and I, I just don't think he's getting re-signed by the Cubs. Say as in right, do, at what point in time do you think you would see a Brennan Davis up at Wrigley Field?
1: Yeah, I think last year that probably changed the way they think about it, which is more like now, now you're going to have Brennan really bash down the door, I think, to get to the major leagues. I think last year they were really prepared – To just sort of open things up and, you know, just sort of glide him in probably June or July or something. And then the way that everything played out, obviously it didn't go that route. And I think that that's probably the biggest change that's happened is that he's going to have to sort of prove his way back into the plans a little bit, which I think he absolutely will do. I expect him to have a good 2023 season, but it's not a, it's not a situation, especially when you look at this depth chart, there's not an obvious place for him to come in, I guess, unless Bellinger struggles like he did last year. And then if Brennan's succeeding, you could see that switch happen in the summer, I suppose.
2: Right. Or, or if you think it maybe the Cubs are struggling and, and, and Cody Bellinger is doing good and you can flip him. That's, yeah. that's another possibility too. Um, so, I mean, no doubt Brennan Davis is starting in Iowa. That's you yep. know, that goes without saying. And so when we talk about PCA, PCA started last year in Myrtle Beach, worked his way up and played on that championship South Bend team. Would you fair to say that you see him starting in the Tennessee Smokies?
1: yeah, I think I think that's a pretty clear, easy path for them to do. I mean, yeah, I guess you could send him to South Bend, just hope that he crushes it like he did in Myrtle Beach last year just to get that head of steam going. But I don't think so. I think they I think they're excited about the idea of challenging him and seeing, Seeing what's what he's also going to get you know spring training with the major league team. So he's gonna be getting reps against pitchers with really good stuff. So that jump to double A, I don't think will feel as strong as it will for some players that are, you know, just on the minor league backfields all March.
2: Now, you know, people that I've talked to have said, yeah, you know, that that glove, even last year, he, that was a major league ready glove. He could play in a major league outfield, no oh, problem. Absolutely. Now, the, the question is is what do you see them really focusing on with PCA? Like what 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 does he have to do? to take the next level. And could you see him making that jump like Chris Morel did from double a to the majors?
1: I definitely think he could. I think what they're going to really focus on this year probably is the plate approach, because I think that double a pitchers, double a pitchers are really good. I think the, the best stuff in the minor leagues generally is in double A. I you know, I talked to Matt Mervis in the, the Arizona fall league. And we were talking about, cause he saw, all the levels of the minor leagues this year. He saw a ball, he saw double a saw triple a, and then he saw the Arizona fall league. And he was talking about how you really feel that jump in double a, because pitchers command their secondaries. It's not just a good slider that you can kind of recognize right away as headed for the dirt. It's actually one that looks like it's going for the strike zone. So what, as that relates to, to Pete, I think when, when, there were certain times last year where Pete was just really looking, just like, I'm gonna go first pitch fastball. I'm gonna just go up to the plate looking for that and that only. And that was enough in low A. I mean, he was C fastball, hit fastball. In high A, I think he got exposed a little more that he went through a stretch where he really didn't take any walks. I think it was late June. Um, the strikeouts were starting to tick up a little bit, and then he figured it out. So I'm curious if they're going to work with him to try to get just a little bit more of a plan to see a, more pitches, wait for his pitch rather than go up there hacking.
2: Now, Kevin Alcantara, do you see him starting in South Bend then?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that, that's an easy assignment for me. He did the full year last year in low A. So you just send him to high A and see what's what.
2: Now, how, how many trips are you going to take down to South Bend to see him? Because I I, know, I, this... I keep telling people it's a short trip, man. And I'm like, I had so much fun going last year just to seeing some of these guys and getting to know them. It's like, get in there now and you you know just get a cheap ticket and it's a great experience. I mean, go see Kevin, man. It's gonna be exciting
1: that Myrtle Beach team last year in the first half was was such a fun watch too. And the South Bend team that will start this year will be a lot of those same players yeah, I think it's absolutely worth a trip. I mean, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and and my eight-year-old absolutely loves, I think he prefers going to South Bend games to Cubs games in some ways. And so we'll, we'll definitely make an excuse to go a few times.
2: Oh yeah. And then you got the little bouncy house for the kids and they, they can run around and just have, have a lot of fun. It's a blast. Now there were a couple people on these lists that were just on the periphery. You mentioned uh, Hayden Wesnisky. Um, who else was really on the fringes of making breaking through that top 100?
1: Yeah, I think that the probably next two after Hayden would be, I think Matt Mervis is probably in that discussion. I, I think he made the baseball prospectus top 100, if I'm remembering right. And then I think the other one that, that services are giving a lot of fit, a uh, lot of thought to is Cade Horton, the the Cubs first round pick this year. I, you know, I think he's, he's the, like the real variable prospect in the system where I think some services, you know, have them as high as number three in the system and others, you know, it might be more like eighth or ninth. So that's a fun one to see just where people sort of scout him at right now and where they put him on the scale. And, um, I can't wait to see what he does this year. I, I hope he's in South Bend. We'll definitely make a trip to see him. So that's where
2: you kind of, you kind of think maybe maybe South Bend would be the way that he would be at
1: the Cubs like to do their top like college pitcher. They like to have him skip low and go and go right to high. A. am actually wondering if maybe because he didn't pitch a ton in college, he, lost a year to Tommy John. I wonder if he might start in Myrtle Beach and then get to South Bend in the summer. Uh, and the the Cubs also drafted a guy, either the third or fourth round named Brandon Birdsell, who pitched a lot in, the college, in college. So that would make sense for Brandon to go to South Bend right away and Cade to start in Myrtle Beach. But I think that's one of those things that'll get decided in camp.
2: Well, it, it's going to be a fun, th- uh, fun season. I think, I think, you know, the minor leagues continue to be the story. It's going to be interesting to see if the major league team kind of, you know, if they can perform like a lot of us are kind of looking back and, and, and kind of saying like, this is really interesting. You know, maybe people will pay more attention again to the major league club, but I know you're always right. got one eye on the minors speaking of the majors. What are you thinking so far about the offseason? I had a chance to ask you as far as some of the moves that they made.
1: Yeah. I, it checked a lot of the boxes. I mean, I think I posted a list in October of who I wanted the Cubs to, to grab and Bellinger and Mancini were both on that list. So those were fits to me that were kind of no brainers with the holes that the Cubs had. I think those are good, like floor raising things. I, I would put this Cubs team as like, you know, an 82, 84 win team that, you know, sometimes those like talent level teams win 88, 89 games just because you know, a a few bounces go their way. And sometimes those are 77 win teams. So what's, what really jumps out to me about this team is how important those first two and a half months are going to be to sort of set the plan with what Jed's going to do, because, you know, the difference of this team being five games under on July 12th and being five games over is going to make a huge difference in what the Cubs decide to do at the deadline and how they start to think about even like the 2024 season. So it's like, I mean, we, we, we can't throw away those April games. Like those April games almost are more important than they usually are in a normal season this year.
2: Right. And, and, you know, it just seems to be that, that when the Cubs have a good April and May, you know, obviously the summer months come, it gets yep. a lot easier. So it's like, you know, I, I, all 162 count the same. Right. And so you just look at those April and may and I just always, am like, please let the weather be halfway decent. Let right. them get off to a good start. And then once you get to June, July, and August, then, you know, it seems like no matter what, the team usually starts rolling. Absolutely. Well, Brian, where can the listeners follow you on Twitter and, and look up some of your work?
1: Yeah. I'm at cub CB prospects on Twitter and I write uh, for Bleacher Nation. I write uh, mostly minor league side, but a little major league stuff over at Bleacher Nation. So, yeah, come come check it out.
2: All right, man. And, and, and like I said, the prospects, it, it's still going to be an exciting season, so definitely don't take your eye off it, Brian. Appreciate you coming on, and we'll be looking forward to talking to you during the season.
1: Always fun to hang. Take care.
0: This is segment three of the fly the w670 podcast it's season number two episode number seven nico horner getting no love and crowley don't forget we want the listeners to listen download review and subscribe to the fly the w podcast and let's talk a little bit about the hall of fame announcements we knew this was coming and uh, we have not podcasted since this was uh, officially released so let's talk about hall of fame versus the hall of very good
2: Yeah, this is where it gets tricky, man. On on Tuesday, Scott Rowland, third baseman for the Phillies and Cardinals, among other teams, was elected to the Hall of Fame. He's the only player that was elected by the Baseball Writers of America. You had a couple guys get close. Um, Those of you that listened last week to that awesome interview with Taylor McGregor, you know she was pulling for Todd Helton. He falls a little bit short. Billy Wagner, one of the dominant closers at the time, close to getting in. Um, surprisingly, Jeff Kent has officially dropped from the Hall of Fame ballad, 10 years, not getting in, and and that's it. Um, also included in the 2023 class will be Fred McGriff, first baseman for the Blue Jays, Padres, Cubs, and many, many more. Remember that McGriff was elected by the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee, made up of uh, uh, different MLB Hall of Famers and and front office guys and all that stuff. And the Cubs' very own Pat Hughes is going in as the winner of the Ford Frick Award. So when you look at the 2023 class, you're going to have Scott Rowland, Fred McGriff, and Pat Hughes going in as a broadcaster. Were you surprised none of the other guys got in, Dustin?
0: No, I'm actually glad none of the other guys got in, and I could be honest, I could say um, that Scott Rowland doesn't deserve to be part of that either. Again, Hall of Very Good, not Hall of Fame. I mean, when I hear Todd Helton's name, I don't think Hall of Famer. Uh, Billy Wagner, maybe? I mean, he was pretty darn good for... My my Hall of Fame is you should be the all-star representative of your position for a decade. Then you're in the Hall of Fame. To me, that's what a Hall of Famer is jeff kent not being on the ballot anymore it surprised me a little bit maybe the guy you know shouldn't have been such a uh a, you know a you know what all the time to to the media right he was always uh kind of a jerk that's the nicest thing i can say about him and i know it's a podcast but i'll keep the language on the uh and you know pg-13 level but jeff kent a jerk um and just because you're a jerk doesn't mean you shouldn't get in but unfortunately that that's the way this works a little bit
2: well you got to remember too though that that you know Ron Santo is a guy that was not very liked by the media, especially the East coast media. And so, you know, he was out for a long time. I guess it just bothers me because in my mind, it really is about your accomplishments on the field, not how, you know, you treated the media. Um, Obviously, you know, me, I'm friends with a lot of the the beat writers. And, and, and I've always before I was even on this podcast, would talk to you and Molly and, and and, uh, you know, David Hall, David Hall
0: Hall has a vote. David Hall has a vote for this. And um, there was a lot, we did a lot about this on the show. And, um, you know, keeping it to Chicago for a second, his vote and his talking to some of the other writers and his contemporaries, I think, helped uh, Mark Burley stay on the list, got enough votes to actually, um, you know, stay involved in the list. But again, you know, Mark Burley, Hall of very good, not Hall of fame. But do you think that's good for baseball to kind of keep it so exclusive and so
2: difficult to get in? I guess so so Well you, you know, need a
0: class, Crawley. Here to answer your question, you know, you need a class. Um, they need to have an event. And I guess if, if only Pat Hughes, and we all love Pat Hughes, but like if only Pat Hughes was going in, you know, what kind of a crowd would they have? That that, that town, Cooperstown, New York, you know, lives on Hall of Fame weekend. The businesses, the hotels, the tourism. that That's their whole year, basically, right? Right. Um, I mean, not their whole year, because they do a lot of Little League stuff, too. But that's a big, big part of it. I just, these names just don't do a, that just doesn't do a whole hell of a lot for me. I Let's put it this way. I'd love to go out there. I've never been out there. I'd love to go out there for Pat Hughes. I think that'd be great but I mean, if it was Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff and Fred McGriff's got a little cub stink on him, if you will, but you know, that doesn't do a whole lot for me.
2: Is there any money in the show budget to get us out to Cooperstown, man? I'll go, let's Uh, go. No (laughs) shot. So, I mean, I would say more than anything though, I think, you know, when I look at this, I've been to Cooperstown and it is a really, really, really cool place. And, you know, I just wish things would have been different in the past. And what I mean by that is that they used to be really stingy about first ballot Hall of Famers. Ryan Sandberg, not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Do you get what I'm saying?
0: Right. And, and, I, and I I don't mind that distinction a little bit in baseball. But, I mean, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. That's what I don't like about the veterans. Like, you know, Fred McGriff got in after so many years and got in off the Veterans Committee, correct? Right. Well, right. So what did he do? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything else in baseball to all of a sudden get himself in. It's probably because of the fact to the point 30 seconds ago, they got to put somebody in because they need a weekend. I
2: think, I think a lot of it too, though, is that when you take a look at numbers and try to compare eras, and there are oversights, I mean, I, I, Ron Santo, one of the best players of his generation. Now, if you look at his numbers for a third baseman, especially offensively, you're not going to be blown away. But if you compare it to what was going on at that time, they had to change the size of the mound. It was so difficult to hit.
0: Right? right, but I think going back to Santo for a second, Crowley. Okay, I think oh. if Santo had not been such an ambassador for the Cubs and such a big part of Cubs radio, I don't think Ron Santo ever gets in. I think that, Ron Santo. I think Ron Santo got in because of what he did on the field and what he did in the broadcast booth. Now they're not going to come out and say that, right? right? He's not. You know, and Ron Santo is never going to win the Ford Frick Award either. Right. Okay. But I think the combination of those two things coming together, and him and his getting sick. All of that—that's what got him in.
2: But if you look, for some reason, there are certain positions in the Baseball Hall of Fame that are very underrepresented, oh, yeah. and th- and third baseman is one of them. And 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 there's no way that anybody that watched baseball in that era didn't think that Ron Santo was by far one of the. It's Brooke Robinson and and Ron Santo are the names that most people associate with the '60s third baseman. So I don't, I don't know. Like and Scott Rowland, if you look at his numbers. And so, I mean,
0: it, it's, I think But that- Mike Schmidt, Crowley, Mike Schmidt, Hall of Famer. Right. You just say, I mean, that, to me, that's what, that's what makes it special. When you say their name, no matter if you're from Chicago, New York, St. Louis, Las Vegas, or Seattle, when you say the person's name, Hall of Famer. And these right. guys, these guys that are going in this year, do not say Hall of Famer immediately. Outside of our guy, Pat Hughes. Now, the
2: argument was brought up, and this was about, uh, I think Mark Harmon from the Four Letter Network tweeted this out, just questioning whether or not you look at um, the idea of Mark Grace versus Scott Rowland and the numbers on that. And that's something that uh, a lot of people are kind of wondering. But again, it's, the, the question is, is, is the genie out of the bottle? And the big name that pops up every time you do that is Harold Baines, Right where we have no doubt that there were two guys on that veteran committee. They've changed that name a bajillion times to the, to the, from the veteran committee to the contemporary baseball era committee. They've changed it. But there's no doubt that uh, Tony La Russa and Jerry Reinsdorf pushed to get Harold Baines into the Hall of Fame. And so I, I guess the question then ends up being is, does that open the door to other players? And, and that would be a guy like Mark grace who had, he's the only person who led the decade in hits, but is not in the hall of fame. So nobody had more hit. Now, again, as a first baseman, he wasn't a power hitting first baseman, which is what you traditionally think of in that position. And
0: that's, what's holding him back right now. Right. It's but, the home but, run numbers, right?
2: right? Right. I guess I I'd, don't agree with
0: it. I don't agree with it, but I'm just saying that that's going to be, if you ask, that would be the argument.
2: I'm just I'm, I'm I'm struggling with this here, and then I think part of the problem, Dustin, that we're taking a look at here, and when you're taking a look at the greatest players of a generation not getting into the Hall of Fame, this brings up the steroid era again. When you're taking a look and you're talking about guys like Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, and all these guys that put up those gaudy eye popping numbers, they're not getting in the Hall of Fame, So you're talking about a whole generation. And this is probably the generation, Dustin, you know, when you talk about like nineties into two thousands where you and I were watching a lot of baseball games, a lot of the guys that we were, um, very much interested in very much followed and were the guys that, that were the most dominant in the position. None of these guys are getting in and some of them are getting in, but I think, you know, those are guys that have question marks about them. When you talk about the Mike Piazzas of the world, uh, what was the guy from Houston, uh, not Biggio, but Bagwell, Jeff Bagwell. Yes, when Bagwell. you talk about these guys, and there's some question marks about some of these guys, that's where I kind of sit there, but, but I think that's where the Hall of Fame right now is hurting, and maybe that's part of the reason why some of these guys like Roland are getting in. Like you said, you need to have a class, and, and th- that this generation of baseball that's tainted with steroids are just not getting in. And So if you looked at the backlog of players that have recently dropped off, You know, you're talking about some of the greatest hitters in the game.
0: Right, and part of the other problem with Grace is I'm looking inside the numbers, Crowley. Only three All-Star games, um, four gold gloves. I think he probably needs five of each, right, to to be a little bit more um, considered there. But again, hits, 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 and um, all time. He's 145th all-time in career hits with just over 8,000. Um, oh, at bats. I'm sorry. That's at bats. Uh, hits, two thousand four hundred and forty-five. So hundred right. twentieth all time. Six of the six of his seasons, he was in the top ten. So that's 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 that's, that's pretty darn good. That that's and his what, that's his biggest reason uh, for possibility
1: of getting in.
2: Right, and the argument that I'll always tell people sometimes is that like your numbers may be affected by the teams that you're on. Do you get what I'm saying? Yep. So, like, maybe he gets even more hits and more RBIs if he had anybody to play with in the decade of the 90s. Do you get what I'm saying?
0: Right. Absolutely. No, no, oh. no doubt about it. So, listen, you know, it's good for Scott Rowland, I guess. Um, great for Pat Hughes, Fred McGriff fine. I'm sure Chicago will be very well represented out in Cooperstown this summer, Crowley.
2: Yeah. And and, and I'm, you know, I'm still debating. I don't know if the travel budget, I got a couple different trips coming out there, but who knows? Maybe if somebody's got an extra hotel room and doesn't mind bunking up, I'll maybe try to run out there. It would definitely be fun. And like I said, I'm dying to see Pat Hughes get in and I have a feeling that his speech is going to be absolutely
0: awesome. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap. Season two, episode seven. Nico Horner Gets No Love is in the books. Crowley, we're going to remind everybody to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast.
2: And don't forget to follow the socials. You can follow us at Fly the W670 on Instagram and Twitter, Fly the W on Facebook. You can email us, fly the W670 at gmail.com, and go Cubs. It's all over.